Hello, and welcome to another edition of Power to the People Radio. I am your host, Stacey Sexton, and today, today's show is brought to you by Surge, your local Surge chapter of uh, Central Kentucky. And um, today we're going to be talking to Debron Thomas, who is in the studio with us today, about some of the projects that he has going on around town and talking about his music. But before we get started on that, I would just like to talk to you a little bit about um, Surge and what Surge is. For those who are uninitiated, um, Surge is showing up for racial justice. Surge is a national network of groups and individuals uh, organizing white folks for racial justice. Through community organizing, mobilizing, and education, Surge moves white people to act as part of a multiracial majority for justice with passion and accountability, and we work to connect people across the country while supporting and collaborating with local and national racial justice organizing efforts. Surge provides a space to build relationships, skills, and political analysis to, cha- to, act, to create action for change. So we envision a society where we struggle together um, with love for justice, human dignity, and a sustainable world. And your local Surge chapter meets the second Tuesday um, of every month at 6 p.m. at the Wild Fig Bookstore on North Limestone. Um, meetings are open to anyone, and we hope that you'll come out and join us. So, uh, Debron, how are you today? I'm okay. How are you? I'm doing just fine. Yeah. Great. It's great to have you in the studio with us today. I'm glad that everybody can see what I'm looking like. <laughs> I wore this really great shirt for the radio. Oh, it's beautiful. I can mm-hmm. I can tell you. Um, <laughs> so I thought we'd uh, we'd go ahead and jump in here and uh, you know get to know you a little bit more, Debron. Um, could you tell us a little bit about your history with activism? My history with activism. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, um, I'm a person of color, uh, and uh, I guess that doesn't necessarily qualify me in in, in certain ways. But uh, I have experienced a lot of uh, you know prejudice and, and whatnot over my life. I'm originally from the San Francisco Bay Area, and my mom is originally from Madera County, but uh, here in Kentucky. But I'm from the Bay Area, and she worked in city government for like 32 years and so as a kid uh, I was always around different political things um, that my mom would take me to Um, spent a lot of time with the police department spent a lot of times around a lot of cops Um, had the talk of you know how you're supposed to act as a person of color around the police at a very young age Uh, and I don't know I mean one of my biggest passions, you know, as far as music goes, is uh, just understanding why things were this, you know, the way that they were. You know, why does Curtis Mayfield still seem relevant when, you know, his music was written, you know, well over 40 years ago? Uh, and so, kind of understanding the mindset of different people and what was going on really allows you to really kind of appreciate um, really where the music is coming from. Um, and so with 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 that um it was kind of easy for me to start uh, speaking about things i don't i i still don't like to consider myself an activist because i feel like there are people who are way more qualified uh doing much bigger things um and uh you know i i don't think that's a title that i particularly deserve uh maybe like you know casual guy that wants to see change maybe that's a better uh terminology um but yeah as a kid you know i was in uh, i was involved in a lot of different um nonprofit uh, volunteering things with my mom and when i got to high school 
I started uh, doing this thing called uh, Rebuilding Together, which is like Habitat for Humanity, but like on a smaller scale. Uh, they used to do this thing many, many years ago called Christmas in April, and now I think it's called National Rebuilding Together Day, and it happens in July. And that was like the first time where like I did something and I wasn't like, oh, that's Debbie's son. It was, oh, that's DeBron, you know. Um, so as far as like activism goes, um, you know, it really just kind of stems from my love of music and of wanting to see change within the world that we live in. Excellent. So how long have you been here in Lexington? I moved here in 2009. Oh, okay. So you're a relative newcomer to town? Uh, yeah, I mean, I've been here long enough to, uh, to, you know, to, to go down the street and see people that I know every five seconds. Um, but actually, funny story as to how I got to UK. I uh, applied to, well, I came out here to go to school, and I applied to two schools. I applied to San Francisco State, and I applied to um, University of Kentucky. And my mom had breast cancer my senior year of high school, so like my second semester, I was spending most of my time trying to take care of her so my grades kind of slipped pretty tremendously and um so i got a i, I kind of got rescinded from uh sf state uh but uh, i actually didn't get my acceptance letter at uk until uh, a year later i was going to um college of san mateo in san mateo california and i was studying broadcasting there and um i got a acceptance letter to uk like in the begin in the middle of my second semester there and uh, so immediately I dropped my math class because I was like, I hate math. And I, you know, <laughs> it was very difficult. So, yeah, that's and so I, I, I kind of got here because I got a letter that was late. So hooray to, uh, you know, administrative uh, mail. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So uh, you've definitely been here long enough and been on campus long enough to sort of gauge the the political atmosphere in Lexington then. Well, the and first year I was here, sorry not to cut you off, no, the first year on. I was here uh, was the year that they did the Obama effigy. Ah. And uh, that was like, I mean, now my mom's from Kentucky, mm-hmm. you know, so like I understand like stories of what she told me when, when she was a kid. And um, like, <laughs> I had been to Nicholasville, I'd never actually been to Lexington. And so... Uh, coming here and that was like the like literally like maybe like the third or fourth week I was here that happened I was just like wow so so this is this is this is what's going on here huh okay yeah good times <laughs> <laughs> absolutely uh so that's uh kind of having that experience of, upon arriving here sort of spurred you to see what was going on and figure out exactly you know what folks were talking about in the community and sort of in a reactionary way i'd say to be completely honest Mm -hmm. like i didn't i on i didn't think that i would still be in lexington at this point um i i for a very long time did not did not feel at home here um and so like you know i was playing music and kind of whatever and i started working at uh you know, the radio station, and, um, you know, I had ties to RFL, and there were some cool things that were going on in the community, but for the most part, like, I didn't feel like, I, I felt like an outsider um, to Lexington. I didn't feel like I particularly had um, much invested in the city, um, and so after, you know, living here for um long enough time, I went through a relationship, and that relationship ended, and so after, you know, leaving that relationship um i was like at this 
very dark place where I didn't necessarily know what my next step was. I didn't know necessarily what my next move was going to be. And so I, I kind of started going out into the community and hanging out with people and seeing more of Lexington. And, you know, all of a sudden, you know, Lexington still, I mean, I live here and I love this city, but I, I don't necessarily, I still, it's not the Bay Area, really, for me. And I mean, that's ultimately, that's just kind of how, how it is. Home is going to be home for me. Um, but, you know, learning the history of Lexington and also the, you know, typical history of, you you know, U.S. history where things kind of get swept under the rug, um, I started really kind of understanding just how fascinating the history of Lexington is. Um, you know, you've got uh, Les McCann's brother, who was a photographer, kept uh, canisters of film under his bed from the, of pictures from the uh, from one of the very first sit-ins in the United States that happened in Lexington six months before they happened in North Carolina. You know, learning about how the Herald and the Leader refused to cover any so social activism within the 60s as far as the civil rights movement goes. Um, you know, yet there's this whole, you know, there's this whole culture surrounded by uh, the, um, the athleticism of young black men. Uh, that is UK basketball. And, you know, and then also, uh, I, I really don't like the horse racing industry because it reminds, it's just too many parallels to slavery. Uh, and, you know, I say that to people who live here and they're like, oh, you're crazy. And I'm like, yeah, but then I had a conversation with Frank X. Walker and then he told me that, uh, the, like, so you have the north part of town, you know, where you got Prawl Town and New Zion and all those small little communities that were founded by freed slaves. And what happened was after the slaves were freed, all these plantations started, um, y you know, raising horses and started bringing all these slaves back to the plantations, paying them probably a lot more than they were. I mean, comparatively speaking, they were paying paid a lot more than they were when they were slaves, which was nothing. Uh, but in the grand scheme of things, they weren't getting paid very well. Uh, and so it, that's just one of those things where I was like, ah, you know, it makes sense. Um, so I didn't necessarily feel like I was particularly crazy, uh, about, about that. Uh, and then, you know, going into, you know, more of Lexington's history because Kentucky has just, you know, Kentucky typically is on, has been on both sides of race relations within the country, right? So you have the civil war, both the president of the Confederacy, Jefferson Davis and Abraham Lincoln were both from Kentucky. Uh, even though Illinois tries to claim him, he is from Kentucky. Um, and you know, and then like Happy Chandler was the commissioner of baseball when Jackie Robinson broke the color line in baseball. He was former governor of Kentucky. Uh, there was a march on Frankfurt in 1964 um, where Martin Luther King came to Kentucky. His brother actually uh, was a pastor in Louisville. And uh, there was this whole thing about trying to get a public accommodations bill passed. And had it happened, uh, it unfortunately didn't pass, but had it passed, Kentucky would have actually been the first state to ha pass a bill, uh, uh, you know, any law like that, but the federal law came out uh, a year later. So, you know, I guess Kentucky's kind of late to the game on that. But, um, you know, and then you have something like Cheapside, which uh, is, uh, you know, a pretty dark stain on Lexington's history that is tried to be cleaned up with, um, you know, 
I wouldn't. I'm trying to. I'm trying to use. You know, trying to find a a, a good uh, metaphor for this. But it's it's kind of like you have a you have a, a a stain or like a mess, right? And you just like sweep it under the rug. But there's like still that giant lump. Like, where it's like, obviously, like, there's a toy under this rug. Um, what's up with this rug? And they're like, oh, don't worry about it. You know, here, we're going to put, uh, we're going to put really oppressive shoes on top of these things so that they, nobody can see them. Uh, and, um, you know, and so that's kind of, uh, what, uh, kind of how Cheapside is, is perceived, I think, in, in Lexington as far as, uh, you know, as, as far as that goes, minus the history. Okay, so uh, we're going to pause for a short break, okay, and we'll be right back with DeBron Thomas. And welcome back to the Power to the People Radio Hour. We're still in the studio with DeBron Thomas, and uh, we've been talking a little bit about DeBron's history with activism uh, in uh, different places he's lived and also in Lexington. So we've gotten to know him a little bit better. Thank you, DeBron. Yeah, you're welcome. But yeah. yeah. Um, so I, I wanted to know a little bit more about Cheapside that you brought up in the last segment. Um, could you tell us a little more about the, the history of Cheapside? Okay, so going back just a little bit, um, when I was in high school, uh, one of my professors was uh, one of the original members of the Panther Party uh, in the Oakland chapter. And I learned a lot about, uh, just through him, about how things are left out in history. Um, you know, you have somebody like Fred Hampton who led the Rainbow Coalition, the original Rainbow Coalition, not the one that Jesse Jackson kind of hijacked, but, you know, a coalition of people of all colors from all different, you know, everything from feminists to the, you know, the Young Lords, which were the um, uh, Puerto Rican uh group of people in uh, in Chicago and you know you had the LGBT movement at the time and also like Appalachians and white supremacist groups all working together because you know yes they might not like each other but systematically speaking the oppressor is the same in every situation so um, why I said that uh, is just learning about these things that weren't in history books as a kid, like the fact that um, there were 11 presidents under the Articles of Confederation, uh, uh, you know, um, before George Washington, um, you know, learning all these different things that I didn't know about, like the Gulf of Tonkin was actually not, didn't actually happen, and it came out years later that President Johnson said that, um, you know, admitted admitted to it. And, you know, all these things within history, it seems like, you know, there's a narrative of like, well, this is how we're going to tell history. And things get swept under the rug. So as far as Cheapside goes, so Cheapside is a, uh, was the, was home to the second largest slave trading auction block in the United States. Um, the first one was in West Virginia. And, um, you know, lots of people were bought and sold and lynched and murdered there. Um, and so there is this space in Lexington, uh, where, you know, at Cheapside by the old courthouse, uh, all of this, you know, is recorded. Um, there are actually, um, you know, you could, I'm sure if you probably, well, another creepy thing about that area is if you walk on, if you may somehow make it underneath, there are still tunnels. I think they're blocked off now, but there are tunnels that they used to move 
people uh, and goods uh, through um, that I think you can go all the way like up and down like through Victorian Square underneath uh, and that's where all that stuff was and so you know there is this there you know it is in some history books but there you know this space was a very um, you know it was a, it, w- it was a really big place to try to go and get slaves uh, and so it is part of Lexington's history the problem with that space is that uh, there are two statues of uh, Confederate soldiers. Uh, one of John C. Breckenridge that was erected in 1887, and it currently stands. Well, it it's originally stood where, uh, a little bit further in where the pavilion is. If you've ever been down to uh, the Cheapside Pavilion, where they have the Fifth Third Pavilion. Um, his statue was was pushed in a little bit inward, and then of course there's the uh, statue of John C. Uh, uh, Thomas Hunt Morgan, or John Hunt Morgan. Thomas Hunt Morgan was his much cooler uh, relative, who was a, <laughs> who was a chemist. Um, so yeah, John Hunt. Then there's the uh, statue of John Hunt Morgan uh, that stands next to the courthouse, and that was erected in 1911 by the Daughters of the Confederacy. Now. It is no there is no coincidence that these two statues are where black people were bought and sold. Um, those statues were put there at a time where um, a, a black man could still be lynched out of jail without a trial, and nothing would happen. Um, and you know they were put there very similarly to how the Confederate flag was put on top of government buildings in the 50s to oppose the civil rights movement. Basically, like, hey, we're still here, we're still in charge. Uh, And so, this particular space uh, in Lexington um, is used, uh, well, and so you have, yeah, is is pretty much used on on a regular basis, not by, mainly by people who might not look like me. Uh, mm-hmm. And I, I, have, I have a feeling that a lot of the African-American community in Lexington that knows about this just refuses to go down there. Uh, and then the other side is you have people who go down there and they don't know. Now, these two statues, I think the, uh, the John C. Breckenridge statue, I don't know when it was moved. But at one point in time, it was moved to Gratz Park, and then it was brought back in 2010. Um, and so... Which, you know, it's like, the realist in me is like, all right, I can at least understand that you put these statues up at this point in time. Like, I'm not saying that it's right, but, you know, it is what it is. But to move one of them and then bring them back, not to mention, not to mention that these two dudes, even if you were, like, pro-Confederacy, like, these two dudes were both traitors to the Confederacy itself. So, like, they're not even, like... You know, it's kind of like it's kind of it. it, it yeah, it, it's kind of like being a Celtics fan and saying that your favorite player was Brian Scalabrini. You know, who's the, sure. You know, uh, instead of like Bob Cousy or Bill Russell, right? Mm-hmm. I follow that analogy. Or, or, or Larry Bird. You know. Um, oh, I know Larry Bird. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so. Of <laughs> um, uh, so like, or like, okay, Marvel, Mar- Mar- Marvel. You can use a Marvel analogy. It's kind of like mm-hmm. you know, you have the opportunity to to use Captain Marvel or you know uh, Scarlet Widow or even like you know the Jessica Drew Spider Woman, but you choose Squirrel Girl. You know, <laughs> like that's kind of that's kind of that's kind of how it is. Mm-hmm. 
But uh, no disrespect to Squirrel Girl. Um, but uh, so Jim Gray um, established a arts council um, that was meant to uh, uh, that was meant to decide or or give a recommendation uh, to um, what was to be done with that space because I think at a certain point. You know, really everything that I've been working towards in my life uh, kind of all catalyzed in 2012 after Trayvon Martin was killed. Um, And for me, uh, he is the Emmett Till of our generation. Uh, And, you know, his death sparked even more conversation, um, but also brought to light problems in America that have been happening that... I feel the black community has been talking about for years, but nobody chose to listen. Um, and so now with the advancement of cell phones and uh, and all that stuff, uh, you know, you have these things that are being caught on video. Uh, so I think in, in as, as far as a larger conversation, you know, it was, well, as, as a community, you know, what do we need to do to, you know, to make this right? And so this uh, review uh, c- council uh, has many different people from different uh, walks of life in the arts community uh, on it, right? They held a, there was a town hall meeting that was held at the Carnegie Center. Um, I was there. Uh, and there were, uh, there was also another uh, meeting that was held at City Hall, and it was at like 3 o'clock or something like that, you know. Um, and I was the youngest person there, which is not very good. I mean, I know that I'm not like old, but like, you know, I was, mm-hmm. I think I was like 25, 26 at the time. I'm 27 now. So, you know, that just doesn't bode well for the younger, for, for younger people. Um, and the review council actually, um, uh, recommended to remove the statues. Um, oh, Side note: There, the is there is a there was a plaque that was put up in 2001 by the Kappa Alpha Psi fraternity mm-hmm. that actually uh, showed t- had the history of Cheapside as an auction block. I remember um, that time. Yeah, so that was the one piece of, uh, of 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 history there that was actually telling the truth. Um, and also, these statues were are there with uh, no representation of who these men were. Uh, they're just. I think the only text that's there, uh, other than the, on the Morgan statue that actually says that this is John Hunt Morgan, um, on the Breckenridge statue there is a, uh, a marble, like a little slab of concrete that's engraved that has, um, uh, there's a, like a slab of concrete that has, uh, you know, information that says that the, you know, that the monument was moved and then moved back in 2010. Uh, so there is, there's that. Um, so anyways, getting to the point of, of this review council, uh, they were recommended to remove the statues, um, keep the plaque and, um, open up a dialogue within the community about, you know, how, you know, how we can really make best to tell both sides of the history in an equal, in an equal fashion, um, or tell the history in an equal, in an actual, actually truthful, truthful fashion. Uh, and then in February, um, Jim Gray came out and said that the statues are not going anywhere. So, here we are. Here we are. Well, uh, in response to that, you've been working on um, a new project that folks around town know as Taking Back Cheapside. And I would love to know more about that, actually. Um, So, since we've covered the history of Cheapside and we know exactly what's going on, um, 
please please tell us more about your project uh long story short um let's see uh so i there is a bar that has the same name as the slave auction block and i didn't uh, and you know and i played thursday night live uh many many years ago and i didn't know the history uh which i think is a part of the problem that people don't know the history um and so i have uh, you know, as a musician, I refuse to play there, and I also refuse to play uh, the Jefferson Davis Inn, even though they claim that's not what their bar is called. Um, and you know, uh, Rupp Arena is also not a place I'd want I'd want to play either. Um, that's a conversation for another time. But um, basically, uh, what Take Back Cheapside is is it came out of the week that Philando Castile and Alton Sterling were uh, murdered. Um, I found myself about to type a Facebook status, as I often did, and I was just like, you know, like this is like the umpteenth time that I've done this. And I get a bunch of likes, and people are saying, yeah, but nothing happens, nothing changes. And I was just absolutely fed up with it. So um, I had gotten together with a, at, a, at a particular concert. I was playing with uh, Real the Poet, who is a, a rapper around town. And uh, I had a, had a conversation with Greg Capillo, and I said, "Hey, how would you feel about organizing a, um, uh, a, a like a flash mob type thing at uh, at Cheapside?" And he was like, "That's a great idea." And of course, the first thing that someone else said was, "How come nobody else has done that before?" I was like, "I I, I don't know, <laughs> uh, but I'm angry." And uh, and this is still happening, and this is something that this is a change that I can help happen in my town. So uh, we organized a, a flash mob. It was on a Wednesday. Uh, it was pretty well attended. I think there were like 30 people there. Uh, the second one had slightly less people, but we were at Thursday Night Live, and it got pretty intense. Uh, and you know, but after the Thursday Night Live one, I saw I started seeing more and more people using the hashtag Take Back Cheapside. And uh, more and more people were aware that we were down. We are down there. And so what I have tried to do in a, a la the um, you know the accompaniment of Fred Hampton, um, I have uh, you know I have reached out to different civil rights and social activist groups, including the NAACP, uh, the uh, uh, Kentucky Justice Coalition. Um, mm -hmm. The uh, John Gores uh, uh, is uh, also affiliated, and uh, Surge, of course, and uh, Kentuckians for the Commonwealth have all been uh, really great support, in addition to other community members and musicians that I know. And this is something that we can, you know, this is a change that we can make in Lexington by removing these statues uh, and making that space an inclusive space for everyone. And... With that, with enough people, with enough different people, all saying the same thing, we can't be ignored. Excellent. Okay. So um, thank you for telling us about that, DeBron. Uh, and we're going to be right back after a short break. And welcome back to the Power to the People Radio Hour. We're still in the studio with uh, DeBron Thomas. And... I was thinking we could uh, shift the focus for a minute, DeBron, and talk a little bit more about your music. Oh, okay. Okay. So it's pretty clear that activism influences your music. And um, really, I just wanted to know, uh, you know, when did you decide to start or when, did, when were you influenced to, be, to begin using your talent 
uh, to address social justice issues? Uh, wow, that's a good question. Um, well, I um, so going back to when I was a child. Um, in third grade, like I always had a very eclectic musical taste, right? In third grade, like I, I didn't appreciate '90s hip hop um, until I was in college, uh, because as a kid, you know, third grade, I was like, you know, third grade, I when everybody was listening to rap and stuff, I was listening to Elvis and James Brown, and I was the friend that nobody liked to listen to rap with because the entire time. You know, there'd be a song and it had a sample. I'd be like, oh, man, that's what this song is. You know, this is, you know, that's the Funky Drummer by James Brown or, you know, that's Footsteps in the Dark by the Isley Brothers. And so nobody really ever wanted to listen to hip-hop with me. Um, and so it was something that I never really, I, I, it took me um, maturing as, a, as an adult to uh, really appreciate. Um, but, you know, for me... Moving into like middle school, right? Um, the black kids. Oh well, I got like super into the Beatles and stuff, and you know, and the black kid. Oh, and Santana, and the black kids would call me uh, uh, whitewash, and the white kids would call me Oreo, or vice versa, right? And I, uh, I, you know, I was like, you talk white, or you do this, right? And I just. I never really understood why anyone would say that to someone, and I never really understood why they were saying it to me. Uh, so, fast forward to me being introduced to the music of this guy named James Marshall Hendricks, uh, and learning and studying about his entire life, and learning that that was something that he had struggled with, uh, you know, was trying to feel have this like whole racial identity um you know and, like i never understood why people ask me like oh are you mixed i'm like well what is that supposed to mean like i mean we're all mixed you know but i mean if you're asking if both my parents are, are you know if both my parents are the same color yes you know um but there's this whole thing that happened in this country called slavery so if you really want to get like you know into the nitty-gritty like we're nobody is like one thing we're all multiple things right, right? Um, so, uh, you know, learning about, you know, you know, about Hendrix and then getting into Sly and the Family Stone and getting into Funkadelic and, you know, listening to Curtis Mayfield and all these other people who spoke out about things, it, you know, for me, it was it, music and activism go hand in hand. You know, um, I feel like if you're a, if you're an artist and you have a particular talent and you're not using, you know, in some way, if you're not using that platform to bring a, a positive message to people, it's a complete waste of time. Uh, because, and it's a complete waste of your talent. I understand that not everybody is going to be particularly, like, comfortable, um, talking about certain issues, but if you have people that are listening to you, and you have people that are listening to, you know, to, to how you say things, because it's not just what you say, it's how you say it. Um, yes. You know, it just again like it's just it just it seems like a waste of time if you're not doing if you're not doing that. So for me, you know, getting into Hendrix and listening to songs like Freedom or House Burning Down which was about the riots that happened in in, in LA uh in the 60s and Watts. Um you know, and, and then you know, you listen to like, you know, 
I don't know, a choice of colors by the impressions. You know, there's a song, there's a lyric in that song that says, you know, uh, how long have you have you hated your white teacher and who t- told you to love your black preacher? And I remember I heard that and I was like, oh my gosh, that's just so real, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, really, it's kind of, and that's one of the things moving into hip hop, again, something that I didn't appreciate until I got into high or uh, college. You know, listening to to Tupac like Ghetto Gospel, or even I mean, as as uh, cliche as it is, changes. You know what I mean? And you have all these these things that are going on, and people that are talking about real struggles and real things that are happening. So for me, uh, I write a lot of my songs out of personal experience. Um, I use the first person a lot in my writing style. I don't really know if it's um, intentional or not, um, but that's just kind of how I write songs. Um, and I don't try to write about things that didn't happen to me. I might embellish on something, you know, but I have a song called Broken Denver that I wrote when I was in the Denver airport. I went to a Quiznos that had a bar, (laughs) and um, Mm -hmm. I paid for my drink and my food, well, my food, and then I tried to pay to, to, to pay for it and my, my, my card got declined and I went to the ATM and I had negative one cent in my uh, account and I was broke in Denver. You know, that happened to me. Um, but I'm not going to write a song called Rich in Lexington because that hadn't happened yet. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> and, right. and if it does, I probably will spend more time giving money back instead of writing a, a song about how much money I have. Um, but, uh, you know, unless somebody feeds me a lot, and then I can say my belly's rich in Lexington. Um, but, <laughs> so anyways, uh, really to answer your question, um, activism and, and, you know, and music are, are something that go hand in hand. And for me, it's just, all of this has just kind of spurned through everything that's been going on in the country for the last, well, pretty much my entire life, but all of this that's been going on and really in a heated way for the last, like, six years. Uh, You know, because I was in the Bay Area when Oscar Grant was killed. I remember that really fondly. That happened, like, right before I moved out here. Um, And Well, I guess I was home for Christmas because he got killed on uh, New Year's Eve. Um, But, you know, I just... I really just see people who don't speak about things and it's like for every like one person that doesn't speak about things you kind of have to come harder with it uh mm-hmm. you know in, in talking about things so there are a lot of people in this town that are doing things and i don't you know hold myself up to a particular pedestal i don't think i'm a really better than anyone like i said i don't even want to call myself an activist because there are people out there that are doing way more than me uh and they're not even you know they don't have a hashtag. They just do things, you know. Um, and so I'm trying to do this the way, the best way that I can. And um, you know, it is only two percent of our DNA that separates eye, skin, and hair color. And when you see that, and you understand that, you know, systematically uh, racial oppression and, and and all this stuff has happened because of such a small. Uh, you know, minuscule part of our DNA, which don't even get me started on how Watson and Crick stole that idea. Poor Rosalind. Yeah, that's the that's the that's the that's the nerd in me coming out. Sorry, um, oh, I like, like this the time. the angry like woke nerd, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Uh, but uh, you know, it, when you look at that and you see just how you know how far we have come as far as oppressing people with this tiny point of, of of DNA, it should be absolutely common sense that, oh, well, 
let's mm-hmm. do what we can to not do this. But for whatever reason, there are people that still want to keep things the way they are, which if I, you know, was one of those people, I could totally see why I wouldn't want to give up having, you know, having that exclusive power. But, you know, as a, as a child, though, you're taught to share. And, you know, we are all equals. And I think that the world will be a better place if we all just, you know, literally live together as one. Yes, yes. Preach that gospel. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, okay. Uh, so, okay. Uh, what we'd like to do now is play you uh, one of DeBron's uh, newest tracks. Uh, and your song is called All My Colors Are Blind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, just give us a, a, a quick overview of what that is, of what that song's about. Uh, just about how I see the world, see the country. Um, you know, again, going back to that like 2% thing. Uh, you know, if, if you look at it, you know, people say that there people are like, oh, well, I'm colorblind. And I was like, are you, are you really though? <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, just about bringing a positive message of love, hope, and change to the people. That's wonderful. All right. And here we go with All My Colors Are Blind.
And the track that you just heard was All My Colors Are Blind by DeBron Thomas. And uh, we've actually been in the studio live with DeBron uh, for the last hour. And uh, DeBron, I'd really like to thank you for being with us today and telling us more about yourself and more about the history of Lexington. Well, thank you all for having me here. Um, thank you all for you know the support that you have given me. Thanks to uh, you know NAACP, Kentucky uh Justice Coalition uh, and uh, Kentuckians for the Commonwealth and all the other people in town who care about uh, creating change and you know like I said before um, this particular fight whether it be Cheapside or something else is going to take more than one person uh, and it's going to take more than two people that look the same so 
the more we come together as a community, the more we can actually lift things up. So thank you so much for having me. I've uh, had a blast. So true. Thank you so much. Now, if folks want to see you live or if they want a copy of this, uh, of your music or this song, uh, where can they find you in the next little bit? Uh, I'll be at, uh, I'll be performing with uh, Brown Girl Bluegrass uh, at the Lyric Theater all weekend. Um, and I'm also going to be playing with my trio on uh, the 1st, on Saturday. Um, at Coolivan Park at 3 o'clock. Excellent. I encourage everyone to go out and see one of these shows. Will you have uh, CDs or albums for sale at these shows, or can people find you on the Internet? Uh, I'll have CDs with me at the Coolivan Park show, mm-hmm. and um, you can go to my website, debron.com, or they're also available uh, at CD Central, the album, and uh, the Morris Bookshop. Excellent. So you hear, you heard it here first, y'all. Uh, debron.com. <laughs> Was yeah. it debron.com? Well, actually, if you also go to debronnotlebron.com, it, it actually comes back to the to, to my website, too. And I'm also on iTunes and Amazon and Google Play and all that Excellent. stuff. Excellent. Okay. And uh, just real quick, I'd like to uh, remind you all to come out to the, uh, to, uh, the next... Uh, surge meeting, which will be uh, on the second Tuesday of October at 6 p.m. at Wild Fig Books, and we would love to see you there. Um, coming up next week on the Power to the People Radio Hour will be KFTC, and please tune in and support them as well. Uh, and uh, my name has been Stacy Sexton. We've been here with DeBron Thomas. Thank you, DeBron, and uh, we'll uh, we'll see you next time. <laughs>